So we're going to be in um, a song of ascent. It's a great song slash psalm. And um, just before we read this psalm, I want to just kind of set the stage, okay? And I do want to prepare you. I'm going to be making some um, violations of um, writing and speech. I'm going to make some overgeneralizations, okay? And I'm also going to be making a few statements that I will not defend. Uh, the primary reason, just don't have the time, okay? But I think that I have enough equity in this congregation. I think you trust me? Okay. I love Jesus. I haven't arrived, okay? I'm still in process, but I love Jesus. I love his word. And I want to deliver something that uh, yesterday I was in my study and uh, had to hold back just sobbing, just sobbing for joy. And I pray that the Spirit of God touch us all. Okay, fair enough. So just bear with me if I say a couple of things that just kind of, whoa, what's he? Just bear with me. So let me set the stage. I grew up under the canopy of hardcore dispensationalism. I suspect, knowing this group, that some of you or many of you did as well. Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth, how many remember? Was next to the Bible in our home. As a teenager, I was literally scared out of hell watching A Thief in the Night and A Distant Thunder. Okay, I'm not alone. And if you're unfamiliar, Life Challenge, I suspect most of you are unfamiliar with those references. Maybe you've heard and read Tim LaHaye's and Jerry Jenkins' Left Behind series. Okay. Now, let me, um, at the risk of overgeneralizing, state some things. First of all, the basic theme uniting these books and movies is that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The ship sinks, it all ends in a mushroom cloud with the earth blowing up. And only those who've asked Jesus into their heart escape and are raptured into eternal bliss. You don't want to be left behind or you will be subject to terrifying perils. So you are to do your best to keep faith as the days get worse and worse and persuade as many people as possible to jump in the lifeboat. This is what is called in formal terms a declension narrative, downward, descending. It's a story, can I tell you, that did not make me feel alive, but one instead that created awful anxiety. Stress, confusion, anger, and even sadness. It's a story that is gutted, emptied of joy. Love doesn't win. Good doesn't prevail. Now, let's just state this. If you charge me with making some gross overstatements, I will not completely deny that. Part of it's for effect. Okay? This is my story, though. My roots, my theological and ecclesiastical 
heritage. It was my takeaway. Whether I misunderstood the teaching, was exposed to a more extreme version of this teaching, or simply could not handle the message because of my own personal issues, probably, by the way, all of the above, that's a discussion for another time. I'll leave that to uh, be discussed with Pastor Chris, okay? I'm not here to argue about the merits or demerits of dispensationalism. And let me be fair, there are various brands of it out there, okay? In any case, eschatology, the study of last things, is a field I am not learned enough in to be of any kind of authority. For that matter, though, I'm not convinced anyone can claim to have the definitive word on end-of-times scenarios and how it all plays out. The biblical record is pretty fuzzy on the particulars, at least my humble opinion. You still with me? So what do I want to talk to you about today? I want to talk to you about joy and the impact story your controlling narrative has upon joy. Joy and story. And it being the second Sunday of Advent, it is the second Sunday, right, of Advent, I have chosen a text that I think captures well this idea. It's taken from the Psalms, as I said, Psalm 126. I do have a PowerPoint, and if you would show that, if you can read it, if not, please hear it. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The title of my message is this, The Tide Has Turned. Would you say that? The tide has turned. Now let's get right down to the basics. I believe that there are few things, maybe nothing, that is more important to the success of your journey than joy. Joy is the, that's a PowerPoint, guys. Joy is the fuel, the energy, the power. Remember what Nehemiah said? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy gives vitality. It invigorates. Joy makes us people of courage. Endurance, a theme that we've already talked about earlier in our service. Joy matters at Life Challenge. Our mission is to help people. Mr. and Mrs. Jendik, our mission is to help your son Joshua, where is he? Right there. Experience joy, real 
joy, serious joy, glorious joy. Joy not only frees us from our attachments and addictions, joy frees us to love, to be generous, hospitable, forgiving, forbearing. Joy is the engine of our Christian faith, joy. My thesis is this, how you view the past and how you see the future, your narrative has a profound impact on your level of joy. So let's just briefly talk about this text, Psalm 126. First of all, as I've already stated, it is not categorized. Many of you know that the Psalms have different categories. You know, there's laments, imprecatory, thanksgiving Psalms, okay, including messianic or royal which predict Christ or hint at Christ. This is not a messianic or royal psalm, but can I tell you something, Mr. and Mrs. Abbott? It is really big-time Adventish. That was a hard word for me to say. Adventish. Man, there's a lot of Advent going on in this psalm. It's awesome. Second thing I want to say, this little six-verse song, psalm, is oozing with joy. Four references, in fact, in six verses to joy. On top of that, a reference to laughter. The last phrase of verse three could be paraphrased. We are one happy people. Man, we are one happy people. Number three. This psalm can be neatly cut in half. As someone who likes symmetry and balance, I'm a one on the Enneagram. I like things just perfect. This psalm fits it. The first three verses could be labeled memory. The final three verses, hope. Memory, hope. The psalmist, verses 1 through 3, looks back. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our tongues, our mouths were full of joy and songs ensued. The psalmist is remembering what the Lord did in days of old. And then in the second half, Verses 4 through 6, the psalmist looks forward. After a plea, a petition, restore our fortunes, O Lord, the psalm ends. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will what? Not may return, will return. Will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The psalmist is anticipating the good days that are coming, looking back at the good days of old and God's faithfulness and looking ahead, looking around the corner with the eyes of the spirit and good days are ahead as well. And number four, I've already made this point, the connection between memory and joy and hope and joy. As the psalmist recalls God's goodness in the past, Joy wells up. As the psalmist anticipates God's goodness in the days to come, what happens? More joy 
wells up. Here's a sticky statement that might work for some of you. Joy builds on the past and borrows from the future. Joy builds on what? The past and borrows from the future. I want to say this again. Joy matters. My life statement, my life mission can be reduced to four words, helping people enjoy life. On my stone, I'm a Dutchman, so I don't know if I want my wife, if she outlives me spending money, you know, on markings, you know, give that to missions. But at least on my epitaph, this is what I want to be remembered as. He enjoyed life. And now he's really enjoying life. <laughs> and I want that in font size 18, okay? With lots of exclamation points. Joy matters. Jesus, by the way, knew this. Joy empowers mission. Joy empowers service and sacrifice. Joy enables one to endure, to suffer long. And some of Jesus' final words to his disciples as he was preparing to launch them as heralds of the gospel, he informed them, John 15, just before he sends them out, he says this, I have told you these things so that what? My joy might be in you. Think about that. Wow. To have Jesus's capacities for joy. Is that awesome? I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete, full, brimming over. The joy Jesus is talking about isn't some selfish feel-good sensation that leads us to sitting around a campfire swapping jokes. That's okay, but that's not the joy he's talking about. It's a joy that releases people into mission, one that compels Christ's followers to reach others no matter what the cost. It's a joy that propels for witness. I have this on a PowerPoint, if you can at least get this one up. I hope we're working. Joy is not immunity against discouragement. But it is what? Power to push through. Joy is not immunity against discouragement, but it is the power to endure. And if necessary, to claw your way forward and through it joy supplies the energy needed to preach teach heal and cast out devils the power to take up the cross and endure opposition to turn the other cheek to go the second mile to lay one's life down for others to complete the race didn't we hear about this to complete jesus for the joy that was set before him what endured Joy matters. It enables you to endure, to stay the course, and to not bail. So, let's see if we can land the plane. Christmas is about joy. The joy of memory and the joy of anticipation. The tide has turned, friends. 
At Christmas, we look back to Christ's first coming when he came in the fullness of time to begin Operation Rescue, setting captives free, restoring sight to the blind, releasing the oppressed, filling the hungry with good things, lifting up the humble, as well as scattering the proud, bringing down rulers, sending the rich away empty. Christmas in particular, is the season when we remember how God inaugurated his kingdom right here on earth, right now, in Christ. At Christmas, we not only look back, we look what? Forward to his second coming. The time when his kingdom will be fully established, consummated. When all that is wrong will be made right. When all things will be reconciled to and in Christ, whether in heaven or on earth. When the world will not be incinerated and all will be lost but a few who are fortunate enough to get airlifted out of here. No, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. We heard this too, of the increase of his government, his kingdom. There will be no end. The promised future, friends, is about lions lying down with lambs. Weapons of war being refashioned into farm equipment. God bless John Deere. Water gushing forth in the wilderness, the lame leaping like deer, justice and righteousness being fully established and the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This is what's ahead. Don't let the evening news fool you. Please hear me. Don't let the evening news fool you. Christmas is the guarantee that just as he came once, he will come again and close the deal and finish the job. The redemption of the world, friends, was set in motion 2,000 years ago. God's kingdom, his kingdom broke in to our reality. Resurrection power has been infused into the cosmos New creation has begun, Christ being the first fruits of all that is to follow. The tide has what? The tide has turned. So here we are, living between the advents, right? The already, not yet. And we are one happy people. We have a joy that is found first in memory. We remember what Jesus accomplished at the cross and how the principalities and powers were defeated, how the written code with its regulations that was against us was taken away, nailed to the cross. And what happens? As we remember, joy just begins to well up within us. Our joy is deepened as we anticipate Christ's second coming and the glorious future awaiting us. A day when disease and disaster will be eradicated. When the devil is put away for good. Amen? Amen. 
When creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. As we contemplate God's promises of future restoration, we become one happy people. The tide has turned. It has. Now, please understand This happiness is not predicated upon playing a game of see no evil and having some steel cavalier attitude towards suffering. No, we see the devastation sin causes all around us. And we feel the pain and the heartache of this wreckage and we weep appropriately so. But we're not overcome by despair. There is a greater reality than what meets the natural eye. Remember that. There's little story, your little story and my little story, but there's also big story, big story, big story. And in the big story, all that is wrong will be made right. All that is wrong will be made right. Christmas reminds us of this. The tide has turned. How many have seen the movie Unbroken? How many have read the book, Laura Hildebrand? Fantastic book. In her book, she tells the story of Louis Zamperini. How many remember? An Olympian. He was second lieutenant with the United States Air Force during World War II. He was deployed in the Pacific where he was part of a crew assigned to a B-24 Liberator bomber. On one of their search and rescue missions, mechanical difficulties caused their plane to crash in the ocean, killing eight of the 11 men aboard. For 47 days, Louis and his two fellow airmen huddled aboard a tiny, poorly provisioned raft, subsisting on little more than rainwater and meager rations. All the while, sharks encircled, often rubbing their backs against the bottom of the raft. The sole aircraft that sighted them was Japanese. It made two strafing runs, missing its human targets both times. After drifting 2,000 miles west, the bullet-riddled, badly-patched raft washed ashore in the Marshall Islands, where Zamprini was quickly taken as what? A prisoner of war by the Japanese. For the next 25 months, that's over two years, friends, Zamprini was physically tortured and subjected to constant psychological abuse. He was beaten, starved, and denied medical attention. Zamprini was singled out by a sadistic guard, how many remember, who regularly whipped him across the face with a belt buckle and forced him to perform demeaning acts. Against such a background, you will now appreciate what happened on November 1st, 1944. When a lone American B-29 flew over the POW camp where Louis Zamprini was imprisoned, its sheer size boggled the imagination. A B-29 is 99 feet long, 141 feet from wingtip to wingtip, 30 feet high at the tail and 120,000 
pounds or more when loaded. It was powered by four 2,200 horsepower engines and could rocket across the sky at over 350 miles an hour. Louis was in his barracks when he heard the roar of the B-29 overhead. <laughs> Peering out the windows with fellow inmates, cheers from the American captives began to ring out as they spied the plane above them. Men began shouting, B-29, B-29, B-29. Laura Hildebrand writes, the bomber was the most beautiful thing Louis had ever seen. That day, there was a turning of the tide for the POWs. That plane foretold the future. Everyone in Japan, captive and free, knew what that B-29 meant. The war was coming to an end. America was going to win, and freedom would prevail. That single B-29 revived the spirits of Louis and his comrades. Life was born, hope restored, joy welled up. Hildebrand comments, not even bayonet prods could wipe the smiles off these POW faces now. Whatever new pain and suffering these men were exposed to was now swallowed up in the confident expectation that the horror would soon end and the good days were soon to come. So Christians, the tide has turned. Our B-29 flew over 2,000 years ago. That place, by the way, was known as the Skull. And there the God-man shed his blood on a cross for our sins. Three days later, he was nowhere to be found. The grave was emptied. Christ had risen. He had risen indeed. Friends, the story ends beautifully. Good is going to triumph. Evil will be no more. Death will be swallowed up in victory. The future, in fact, looks awesome. The kingdom of this world will one day, again, I say it, become the kingdom of our Lord. One day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order will pass away and shalom will reign forever. Talk about fairy tale endings. Knowing and believing this gives us joy in the midst of the troubles and heartaches and disappointments and frustrations that we find ourselves in. Because the final chapter of our book reads, and they lived happily ever after. All is well that ends well. So cheer up, my brothers and sisters of the net. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord and let us join with God in his Eastering campaign, bringing Christ's life into every sector of society, every beachhead to which we've been deployed. May Christ's joy empower us as his church to be agents of reconciliation and conduits of liberation to the lost, the least, and the last, the tide has turned.
I want to close with a congregational reading. If you could, gentlemen, put that last pick up on there. And would you stand with me? Hopefully you'll be able to read this. If not, you might want to just come forward. No shame, okay? I've got bad vision. But would you allow me to lead you? Would you participate with me? When the Lord turned the tide of history, we could hardly believe it. Laughter bubbled out of us. Souts of joy burst out of us, telling everyone who would listen, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. We call on you, Lord. Turn the tide of history here and now. Rain down on our dry land. Those who watered seeds with tears will gather in a harvest with joy. We have watered seeds with our tears, yet we will harvest with joy. The Lord will do great things for us. The Lord will do great things for us. And we are one happy people. Lord, thank you for your word. And in this time, between your comings, we look back. Lord, the B-29 flew over. <laughs> Thank you. And Lord, all that leads is to looking ahead. It ends well. It ends well. So Lord, in the meantime, help us to allow the big story to control us, even in our little sub-stories. Lord, we may weep. We're not called to dance around coffins but God, we weep not as those without hope. We have hope. Thank you. And we rejoice in you. We are one happy people. In the name of Jesus.